This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. Super amazing to have you with us, MVBC PM. Uh, I am causing chaos up here, uh, and also known as Travis, if we haven't uh, met before, uh, love to meet you um, and swap stories at the end of the service as well. But is anybody else a little bit of a sucker for internet memes? Do you ever get sucked down the black hole of memes? I'm seeing a lot of nodding heads, but no one's prepared to actually put their hand up and admit it. Um, Sophie, if we can somehow manage to get that at the back, that would be awesome as well. But one of the ones that make me feel particularly uh, encouraged uh, and a little bit, oh, look, I get down, down these ones. If you've ever feel useless, have you ever seen those set of memes? Now, I love this one. This was from um, 2016, so a while ago. I, I, I am old. It takes me a while to catch up. If you ever feel useless, just remember that someone is a lifeguard at the Olympic swimming event. Yeah, that would be a busy day. And I just love the face of the lifeguard there in the back, don't you? That just perfectly sums it up. Uh, this one I love even more. If you ever feel useless, just remember that Bing, which is a search engine, top searched word is Google. <laughs> that stings. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? Um, so this one, I think this was just from a couple of months ago. If you ever feel useless, just take a moment to remember Jason Momoa's bodyguards. Uh, my goodness. Which of those three are you least likely to tangle with? Yeah, the guy being guarded, right? Um, and then, of course, uh, if you ever want to search u most useless inventions uh, and things that are futile, my goodness, the internet is full of a few. I hope no one ever wants to use that fire hydrant. I don't even know what that is at the top. That is, ac that is actually a photo. I don't know. Somebody built that. Think about that. Someone actually built that at the top there. Sign not in use. Great use of a sign. Um, Lovely, lovely park bench to sit in by the side. Uh, and I particularly, I particularly like the balcony, the bottom balcony. I think the view would be great. If you ever managed to get up there, of course, you would never be interrupted. <laughs> uh, but geez, you wouldn't want to use the bathroom in a hurry. Uh, look, we are in the book of James uh, as a church uh, for this term. And I absolutely love the book of James for just how practical it is and how insightful it is. It sort of compiles all these punchy sayings and wisdom for practical living together. It's gold. It's like a Christian playbook on how to live in a way that honors God. But if I'm honest, I'm also really challenged by what I read in this letter. And at times, I'm made to feel incredibly uncomfortable. Because James just doesn't let me, and he's not going to let you, off the hook when it comes to how we live. James would actually add to the list of those useless memes, the religion of the Christian whose faith makes no difference whatsoever to the way that they live. And I'm not making that up. That is literally verse 26 of the passage I'm about to preach on. Ouch. But we do have to read James properly. We have to read James in context. Uh, he writes to people who already know and who already love Jesus, who have already experienced grace and restoration, redemption, forgiveness. He's writing to people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, whose destiny is heaven. That is set. That's the gift of God. People like us whose default desire is to honor and glorify God in the way that we live. And he's not writing to tell them that they need to behave in a certain way in order to receive and experience those things. 
No, they've already received them. They've already, they are already experiencing those things. And so he's writing to them to encourage them to live out of the overflow of what they have already received, to live out of the overflow of what they currently experience in their relationship with Jesus. I think James fundamentally asks the question of the readers, is following Jesus making a difference in your life? Is following Jesus making a difference in your life? And that is a good question. That is worth prayerfully reflecting on. That is worth sitting before God and genuinely asking of yourself. Is Jesus, following Jesus, making a difference in your life? Well, I reckon I'm in good company. I reckon I'm filled with a room full of people who know what it is to love and follow Jesus and actually know what it is for that to turn up in their lives and actually make a difference. So this is the beautiful thing about being church together. I'm going to invite you to turn to people around you and just, just share. How do you think, how do you feel, how do you react, how do you relate, or how do you behave differently because of Jesus? And if you're someone who's come here tonight curious about faith, not yet describing yourself as a follower of Jesus, what well, imagine what difference you think it might make in your life to follow Jesus. I'm just going to give you a minute or two, turn to the people around you, just get that, mm, get that brain working, get that brain working. What difference does following Jesus, has it already made in your life? Awesome. How did you go? Is anyone brave enough just to yell one or two things out? More grace. You under, both understanding and giving. Yep, awesome. Showing more grace to people. That's awesome. Anyone else? Stronger faith. Solid identity. Fully changes actually the way we see and understand and value ourselves because of Jesus. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, adopting an attitude towards others, what would Jesus do? Yep, beautiful. Henry, remind us that we're all here. That's pretty good. Actually valuing faith community and being shaped and formed together as a people of faith. What about three others? Fearlessness. Ooh, yeah, courage that comes from actually being known and loved by God and having his spirit with us. I probably might have put a few words in your mouth. But that's courage. I like it. I like it. Patience, yeah, some of that fruit of the Spirit just coming forth in, in the way that we live. Love it. Now, yeah, one more, because I did promise three more. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I initially heard less curry, and I thought, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> less worry. Less worry. And not, uh, less anxiousness, and trusting in God, absolutely. And I, sorry, someone. Appre of? Yeah, appreciation of God's blessings. Oh, I love that. I really do love that question because it makes us actually pause and stop and actually recognize the difference that Jesus has already made in our lives. And the ways, <laughs> less curry. <laughs> I heard less curry again. Quit it when I love curry. Huh? Um, it does. And, and what we're actually experiencing of him is outworking itself in our lives. We're, we're able to see that. We're able to see the patience and the grace and the courage uh, and the trust. My faith makes an enormous difference to me. It changes what I think. It changes what I value. It changes my priorities. I live differently. I behave 
differently. I relate to people differently because of my relationship with Jesus. But I don't always live that out perfectly. And I certainly don't live that out consistently. And so that's why I need a book like James. Because James calls me higher. He calls me deeper. He calls me to a greater alignment to actually live out what I have already received and what I've already experienced from Jesus. I know we haven't even opened the book yet, but I have just explained half of tonight's passage. I want to look through this back half of chapter 1, and I want you to look for that James calls us higher and deeper and to have a greater sense of alignment with how we live and how, what we've experienced of God in the way that we react, in the way that we enact, in what we speak and what we do. There you go. He said Baptist pastors can only do three points. That's four. That's pretty good. That's a special extra one for you. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open them up. We are just picking up where we left off last week. So we're in James chapter 1, and we're going to pick up from verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, James writes, it's relational. He loves them. He is for them. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So he's going to something that's external, isn't he? He's going to our behavior. He's going to how we react to others in the moment. And he's calling us higher. He's calling us deeper. He's calling us to a greater alignment with God's ways. That we would be quick to listen to others, others others-centered, empathetic, compassionate, ready and willing to connect and understand what's going on for somebody. That we would be slow to speak, that it's not about us, that we actually want to give space and value to the other person and slow ultimately to become angry. Because we all know, don't we, that when we react from a place of anger, oh, it's like a volcano, isn't it? We explode and spew forth all this stuff, and it just decimates everything living around it. This human anger does not produce the righteousness, the right living that God desires. And that if we're honest with ourselves in our times with God, that that we desire too. We want our relationship with Jesus to make a difference, to show up, to overflow, to impact the way that we live, the way that we relate, the way that we react and behave. So be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There are so many little illustrations and stories and experiences, obviously, um, I can share. Um, But the one that came to mind uh, as I was thinking about tonight, uh, because it still stings, uh, happened about, probably about nine years ago now. Nine years ago, and I was in church And no sin or anger ever happens in church, right? Um, I was in church, uh, and this little little firecracker of a a young adult who'd been frustrated for a whole bunch of reasons, things that necessarily didn't didn't necessarily have to do with me, um, but some broader life frustrations about um, what was happening amongst her peers and all that kind of stuff, and what was happening in church. But I remember this was before a service, and we were standing, I was standing, I was probably standing about here, uh, and this little little ninja, ninja, ninja warrior, Dead set looks up at me. This is before church, and, and, and this is a direct quote that I am going to censor. She said, Travis, you are effing useless in church to me as her young adults pastor. 
did that produce the righteousness that God desires in me as the recipient of that? I'll tell you what, it didn't. That floored me. And that stung. And those words chased me for years. And even in thinking back to that experience and that interaction, I feel the temperature internally rise. I feel the hurt. I feel devalued. I feel like I was an unfair recipient of her anger in that moment. I'm also older and wiser and can empathize with what was what was going on with her and have forgiven her. In that moment, for her, that spillover did not produce the righteousness that God desires either. God's called her to a different way of being. Called her to express love, to show love, to be slow to anger. And in a couple of minute conversation, before church no less, to have that kind of volcanic eruption is just not right. It's not what God wants for her, it's not what she wants for herself. And I guess I wanted to use that illustration just to show how painful sometimes it can be to be on the receiving end of people who are not putting this into practice. And in the same breath, I want to acknowledge, but my goodness, have there been times where things have come out of my mouth and come out of my heart that I really wish I could take back. That in moments of anger that I've shut down instead of pursued relationship, where I've written people off instead of trying to actually ask and understand what was behind what it was that they were saying or doing. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Ephesians, in Paul, Paul in Ephesians 4, he just says, In your anger, do not sin. So get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you calling us higher, calling us deeper, calling us to a greater alignment to the love that we've received from God, from the character and the model and the life of Jesus, that we would, what would Jesus do, react in moments in the way that Jesus would react in moments, to pray for and to love even our enemies. Ooh, the room's gone quiet. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So this is one of the ways that James is calling us higher. He's calling us to react in this way. But he also calls us to enact something that when we listen that we do. And so this is pretty much the very core message of the whole book. Do not merely be listeners to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I was reading one Bible commentator during the week and they reckon that first line, James 1 verse 22, is actually a pretty good key verse summary. In fact, his whole book, do not be merely listeners to the word but do what it says. I had uh, great fun um, this week. I actually got to go uh, away um, overnight uh, to be trained. That's always good, isn't it? Uh, to actually sit under some instruction and some teaching uh, for some really wise, godly, capable Christian leaders. Um, so I'm part of this training program. Um, I'm throughout this year for new senior pastors because they 
think we've probably got some work to be done and some things to learn, which we indeed we do. Um, but it was so good. It was so good. It was a long Tuesday. It was about 12 hours. And then they gave us homework to do before the 9 a.m. start the next morning, okay? So it was intense. But we had these two guys who combined had like half a century of like senior leadership in churches, experience, and now they're going all around coaching people, mentoring people, investing in the next generation of leaders. And so they're just bringing all of their experience, all of their wisdom to bear, uh, drawing on a whole bunch of other resources and studies and, uh, and things that are being written. And they're just kind of like cramming it into us had another two guests that joined us on those two days as well. So between the four of them, there's like nearly a century's worth of experience they're trying to impart and hand over to us. And I remember coming home, and Kay said, how was it? And I said, it was great. It was such high-value content. And we didn't waste time. It was just like full on the whole time. So practical. And I actually wrote an email to them. I said, thank you so much for these last two days. Not only was what you taught highly valuable, but I will be a better leader and a healthier person because of what you taught me. Now you imagine if in a week's time, Kay comes up to me and she says, so Kay's my wife in case you don't know. Uh, you're like, who's this Kay? Kay's my wife. Uh, if Kay comes up to me in a week's time and goes, so how are you going with putting any of that into practice? How did you find that retreat last time? And I just go, oh, you know what? I learned so much. It was so valuable. I loved learning all of that. I loved hearing about all their wisdom. I love receiving all their tools. And she's like, but yeah, are you actually doing anything with those? Oh, I've, I've got the notes. Or if in a month's time, my mentor catches up with me and goes, hey, how was that retreat? that you had with those guys. And I say, oh my goodness, it was amazing. The content, so valuable. Their experience, their wisdom, amazing. I have so much respect for them. Some of the resources they gave us are brilliant. And my mentor asks me, great, that's amazing. So what changes have you made in your life? Or which resource did you start with putting into practice? And I say, oh, it was a really great conference. I learned a lot. I got a lot of respect for them. I've got great notes from that conference. Or if in a year's time, do you get the point? What a wasted opportunity. And have I really learned anything if I've just sat there and consumed but not put into practice? I was there to learn. I was there to be inspired. I was there to be equipped. And I was there to actually have stuff that I can put into practice in my life and let it work itself out. This is what James is getting at. So all the times that we come to the Word, all the times that we come to church, all the times that we go to Christian conferences, we listen to our Christian podcasts, and we fill our minds, and we fill our notebooks, and we feel inspired, and we have respect and trust in those who are teaching, but fail to actually put it into practice. There's a missed opportunity there. And Jesus, on, he concludes his main body of teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, by reminding us, Matthew 7, that everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's the key bit, who hears and then puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. That is the call for the Christian, not just to listen or read or watch or consume, but actually allow Jesus to make a difference. Allow it to actually move us to action, to actually change 
what we do about it. And so James's illustration is about someone who looks in the mirror and then totally forgets what they look like. Now, I do this on purpose because I know what I look like. Um, but there are times where I wish I didn't. Uh, and there was a couple of, an occasion a couple of weeks ago where I, I looked uh, into the, uh, in the mirror because there are mirrors in every bathroom in our house for some unknown reason. But I looked into the mirror in the bathroom, not intentionally, but there it was. And so I saw a reflection of myself and I went, oh, I'm in my home hoodie, the one that has Josiah's snot all over it that I haven't cleaned yet, but I probably should wash and probably should get onto. And then I walked out of the bathroom and I promptly forgot what I looked like. So what do you think happened later that day? I was engaging with somebody from our life of our church and went, oh, I forgot to change my hoodie. <laughs> this is James's point. He's like, there's no point in looking in the mirror and then going away and immediately forgetting what you just saw, what, what needed to be changed, what needed to be put into practice. No, no, you look to see what needs changing so that you can then change it. And he reminds us this isn't just about forgetting, but actually this is, there's a positive thing to this. That we're actually what we're looking at is we're looking into the perfect law that gives freedom. We're actually looking to Jesus. We're looking in the word to hear all about God and his good news for us. And it's not burdensome and it doesn't condemn us, but it gives life and it gives direction. And it lays forth before us the path that leads to life. And so we want to look into the word like someone looking into a mirror intently and not just forgetting what we've heard or read or podcast, but then going and living it out, going and doing it, letting it overflow into our lives. And that as we do that, we will be blessed in what we do. Why? Because Jesus' way is the path to life. And that as we follow him, as we follow the words, the works and the ways of Jesus, we experience blessing as we do, because, oh my goodness, Jesus makes such a difference in our lives. So good, so good. So here's a little two pro tips from me. Uh, I recognize how easy it is to do any of those things. Read the Word, listen to a podcast, watch a sermon on YouTube, even come to church, go to a Christian conference, love it, consume it all, and then fail to put it into practice. So my pro tip for you, and it's my, my pro tip I've been practicing for a few years, is always ask myself the question, God, what are you speaking to me through this? You're in your Bible during the week, you've got a passage in front of you, God, what are you speaking to me? Not reading just to be informed, I'm actually reading to be transformed. And God will speak, and you'll know that you need to do something with that. I would encourage you to ask that same question when you gather together here on Sunday PMs. God, what are you speaking to me? And if you want to elevate that, this is the pro tip bonus version. At the end of the service, share that with somebody else and invite them to ask you how you went with that during the week. Does that sound good? Does that make sense? We don't just want to be hearers of the words, but doers of the word. Not those who look in the mirror and forget what we look like, but those who look intently into the law, the perfect law that brings freedom and put it into practice. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. I'm not going to spend too much uh, time on this one because I think I've probably already made the point and we're coming back to it in chapter 3. There's a whole passage about taming the tongue. Matthew, this is the words of Jesus, 12 verse 34. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So again, this is James calling us higher. 
calling us deeper, calling us into greater alignment with what we've experienced from God. That what we've experienced from God, this life, this love, this grace, would actually show up or would be audible in what we speak and in what we don't speak. And the image there and the image in chapter 3 uh, is actually of controlling a horse. Now, has anybody ever controlled a horse? Do we have any, like, bareback riders in the room? Yeah? I am terrified. I would be terrified. I would feel completely inadequate, completely unable to control an animal that weighs, what, a couple hundred kilos? Uh, that's terrifying. That's way more muscly than me. That's got a mind of its own. I don't think I would have a very good chance of doing that. And I think some of us at some times feel that's exactly what it's like when it comes to taming the tongue. And actually, we have these things that just spills out words. Uh, sometimes before we uh, have the chance to kind of rein it in uh, and control it. And yet this brittle or this bit that's in a horse's mouth means that a rider on the back, a little old frail human like you and me, can actually control this magnificent, strong beast simply by moving and applying pressure. So that's the image that James uses here. And again, I shouldn't go into it because we're going to look at it in chapter 3. But it's this idea of actually being in control of what comes out of our mouths. Because what comes out of our mouths actually comes out of our hearts. And so the invitation, dare I say, the challenge, is, again, James calling us higher, calling us deeper, calling us to greater alignment, that the words that we speak and the words that we don't speak would reflect on the life and the love that we have found and experienced in Jesus. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it benefits those who listen. You know what, I shared a negative example before. I'd love to share a positive example of this. Over the years, I've had many people look at me directly in the eyes and build me up. It actually reminded me of some truth of the gospel or some calling on my life. Because some people who are lovely when it comes to listening to God and have actually shared with me things that they felt that God would have me hear from and the way that that actually builds me up and brings life and at times helps heal and restore, I want to be that for others. I want to have that bit in the horse's mouth, so to speak, so that I'm in control of my words and that I use those words in a manner that best reflects my love for God and my love for people. To build up and to bring life, to heal and to restore to encourage, give courage, and to build faith in others. And I'm sure you do as well. Last bit, last bit of the passage. A religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Religion that God accepts as pure and faultless. You know, during the week I had the amazing privilege of tagging along. That's all I was doing. Tagging along. There are a couple of wonderful women in the life of our church who go and visit people who can no longer come to church. And I got the chance to go into, uh, into a retirement village with two of the most godly, loving, compassionate, kind Christian women you'll ever meet. 
and got to be a bit of a fly on the wall, got to be the, hey, here's the pastor that meets at the church um, to a lovely couple who have been connected to our church for many, 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 many years, but no longer are physically able to join us. And I have to say, sitting in that retirement village room, to share in communion for, mustn't have been much more than, than half an hour, saying some simple prayers. It's hard not to think that God was pleased with the way that I spent my time. That actually this was the kind of religion, the kind of life that God sees as pure. I've been in church land a long time. Got saved when I was about 13. I'd already started attending before that. So it's been a long time. And there's a lot of stuff that I do that I describe as just me being caught up in the machine of church. I love church. I love being church. I love big church. And I love the energy um, that that brings. But the time that I spend in these four walls, or in the four walls of previous churches, yeah, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to love, to care, to initiate, to go, and be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. What difference does following Jesus make in our lives? It makes all the difference. And sometimes it makes all the difference to who we spend time with and how we spend our time, just how we see others and how we seek to follow Jesus in the way that we live for him in our world. I learned this um, in a really profound way. Uh, in my last church, I got to head up a ministry to the homeless of Parramatta. I don't know if you've ever walked through the city of Parramatta, Central Coastians. Well, there's a lot of homeless people, a lot of homeless people that live in and around um, the city of Parramatta. And we were just a suburb or two out as a church. I mean, we were called Parramatta Baptist Church after all. Um, and so for years, decades before I even joined the church, faithfully every week we were down in the centre of Parramatta serving a free meal to the homeless um, or just those who were doing it tough financially. We didn't ask any questions, we didn't means test, we didn't charge. It was simply an act of love for us as a church community. And I have to say, over those years, being there Sunday after Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, for about, I let it for about five years, um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be the hands and feet of Jesus. As you get the chance to pray with people, just welcome them with a smile, without judgment. There's a profound sense of rightness about it. And over the years, there were times where our church actually went, you know, what well, is this something that we should still be involved in? Um, we always review uh, our, our policies and our programs. Is this something we should be involved in? There's plenty of other people and other service providers down in the city of Parramatta. And time after time, we kept coming back to the same question. We would lose something about who we are as a church if we stopped doing this. We actually recognised that what we were doing was not just a program. It's not just something that looked good. It's not just something that we thought we should do. We actually recognised this was something that was key to our identity, key to who we were as the people of God. 
that as we've experienced the love of God, that that must overflow into the ways that we love others, not just those who are able to come to our programs and services on site in Northmead, but to go and to be where people were, to go and to be where people in need were, without expectation of getting anything in return, to bless and to provide and to be a visible Christian witness in their lives. My heart in doing that was always just that they would taste something of the love of God in our interactions. And the amount of people that over the years would come up and say, thank you, and say, you're from that church, aren't you? Gave me great courage and encouragement that they were seeing and catching something more than just a meal and an interaction with us. And that was always the prayer, that they would experience something of the love of God for them. Is James hard? Yes. Is he challenging? Yep. Is he confronting? You betcha. Does he make us uncomfortable? Sometimes. But I don't think it's to condemn us. Uh, I don't think it's meant to deflate us or for us to kind of self-flagellate ourselves that we're not doing good enough. I think it's to inspire us, to call us higher and deeper in our devotion to Jesus to actually live out this heart truth that we know, that we've received, that we experience, for Jesus to make all the difference. I'm going to sing a song called uh, Send Me. Uh, It's a song I came across a couple of years ago, and it's one of those challenging, confronting, (laughs) confronting songs that calls us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to live this thing out, for it to make a practical difference in the way that we live. And I encourage you to sing it uh, as you get to know it. Because the church I see here at Parramatta, uh, no, we're not Parramatta anymore. I was just thinking the other day, I've, I've had a pretty good run that hasn't come out yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like calling your teacher mum. I know, it? right? It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> the church I see here at NVBCPM is a church that loves God radically and wonderfully that loves each other radically and wonderfully, that doesn't come to fulfill the obligations of some sort of Christian religion where if I just attend the services and I read the things, then I know God is pleased with me. But a community of faith that is going to be so shaped and formed by their love for God that it can't help but find expression and outworking and overflow in our lives where we do want to go higher and deeper in the ways that our behavior and our attitudes, our emotions, our reactions, our interactions, our relationships with people are lived out. And it's lived out not as some kind of bizarre way of trying to earn God's favor or try to merit our salvation. Of course not. It comes from grace and grace alone. But it's the overflow of having experienced that love and that grace and that mercy for ourselves. And it makes all the difference. So what is God speaking to you tonight? How is he calling you deeper, higher, into greater alignment? My heart is that you will pray this prayer, that God would send us, send us into the world to be his hands and his feet. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. 
To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.